Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. I think I've lost my music bed, so, you know, da 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 here we are <laughs> on a holiday weekend <laughs> going with our, our uh, show and making do. Um, the, I, I, I think my guest is, is Emily Linden. And, Emily, I must tell you that for this, the start of the new year here, we're going very casual, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not a lot. I always say nobody listens to my show for the technical expertise. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize to everybody. Obviously, my music bed is gone. It's disappeared. Apparently, it decided to continue its holiday or something. Anyway, my apologies, and uh, uh, welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. We're very privileged today to have Emily Linden with us. Emily, welcome. Thank you, Heather. Yeah, Emily uh, came to my attention because my alma mater, UC Denver, is um, uh, running a, a, a program with you. And so when I got the notice of the program and I read it and I thought, this is wonderful. And the program is about your Unslut project. Now, Unslut right. is not necessarily a term that I've heard frequently, but I've heard it more in the last couple of weeks than, than I ever thought I would. And uh, it's fascinating. Tell us, please, what is the Unslut Project, and what? Uh, why did you start this? Well, it's a movement. Uh, the idea of Unslut is to undo the whole concept of a slut as something that can exist as a concept that can be applied to women for any reason. Um, I started it back in the spring of 2013 by putting my middle school diaries online for all to read and comment upon. And at the time, I was 27. I'm 29 now. And I was far enough removed from it that a lot of um, what I was reading in my diaries, I realized, you know, I, I don't have on the, on the forefront of my mind anymore. I had forgotten about it, but it, it brought up um, a lot of feelings and a lot of fury because what I had written about was basically my experience of being labeled a slut at age 11 and then being How, bullied I'm for sorry. it for the next few years. How can <laughs> anyone possibly be labeled a slut at age 11? You know, that's one of I, the I, most common reactions. Yeah, it's it's so young. And it's, you know, when I think about the girls I know now who are 11, um, being an adult myself, it surprises me that, that this type of thing could go on. And the truth is it goes on so often and it's so common um, now, even more than it was back in the late 90s when this was happening to me, um, kids at that age are exposed to so much and they often aren't given the tools to understand it or to think critically about it. And now it includes um, porn on the Internet at their fingertips. Often parents are kind of in denial about that and don't talk to their kids about sex and issues re- related to sexuality in um, age-appropriate ways until the kids have already come up with these ideas themselves. So in my case, we had a puberty program um, at our school that talked to us about, you know, how our bodies were going to change, that type of thing. But it didn't have anything to do with with respect or consent or uh, sexual interactions that we might find ourselves in and, and what was okay and what wasn't okay and that type of thing. It was all just very anatomical. So at age 10, I had my period. I had breasts and most of the other girls in my class did not and I stood out also my my family had moved from a different town and so I was kind of a new kid and my body looked different than everyone else's and it was really um, I had a lot of attention because of that right off the bat and then uh, a boy that I had had a crush on since I had moved to town uh, I called him Zach when I put my diaries online I changed his name Um, he said that he wanted me to be his girlfriend which if you can remember at age 11 that's you know, I was over the yeah, moon. I was stuff. over the door. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's good stuff. See, that means that you wave to each other across the lunchroom, I think, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. And sometimes I ran away when he looked at me. Um, <laughs> all different types of, of girlfriend. <laughs> but you were his activities. girlfriend, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was his girlfriend. <laughs> and um, and he was uh, he and his group of friends had some friends who were a little older. And by older, you know, I mean thirteen, fourteen. But they were, you know, in the the later end of puberty. And so they actually were experimenting sexually with girls in their grades. And, and he got it into his mind that this was something that was, that was normal and, and we ought to be doing it. So one afternoon, 
that I later, you know, in the years that followed, I, I remembered this afternoon as like the time that my whole life fell apart. You know, if I had done something differently, I could have saved my reputation. And basically, uh, Zach and his friend, whose name I've changed to Matt, um, they convinced me to go to third base. And for us, that meant that he put you know, his hands down my pants. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can't, we called you know, it like fingering. I don't know. <laughs> I can, maybe you can, you, you are now the slut expert. Okay. What are, what are those bases? I have never known what those bases are. I mean, first base is oh, kissing, right? <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I, mean, I mean, I think no everybody point. defines them differently. What, what are they the do. bases? This is one of the um, the funny things that's kind of emerged from having my diary online is that a lot of adolescent girls come in and comment on it. And one of the things that I've noticed is that everyone calls the bases something different. For us, I grew up in the Boston area. And in the late 90s, uh, first base was, was kissing, basically making out. Couldn't just be a peck. It had to be a French kiss. <laughs> and Ooh, then uh, okay, second okay. base. second base was if a boy touched um, your breasts and then – sloppy second which is actually this is a level we called it sloppy second was using uh your if he used his mouth to to like kiss your breasts which seems now like such a silly um (laughs) sexual act to give its own title (laughs) but we did and then third base was digital sex or we we used the slang word fingering which is what what it acted to me and then uh sloppy third was oral sex Sloppy meaning, sloppy I guess. Third. I've never heard of fit. sloppy third. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was rare. And then all the way, of course, is sex. And so, you know, this sexual interaction, as I wrote about it in my diary, um, it, it's pretty clear that it was um, slightly coerced. I wasn't doing any of the seduction, certainly. And also, it could have been something that was really, um, you know, not a big deal. It could have just been two 11-year-old kids kind of doing something equivalent to playing doctor. You know, I mean, I had just discovered that my body could be a sexual thing. I was just discovering how to masturbate. And, and, and these things could have all been rather healthy and, and okay. But what happened was that he and his friend then um, made up some rumors accompanying the story. And within a matter of days and over the course of the next few years, um, my reputation was that I was a slut who would do anything with anyone. And um, in fact, and you, you, were 11. you were 11 years <laughs> right. old. Right, yeah. And how old was was Zach and his friends? They were my age as well. I think they were either 11 or 12. Um, And again, I don't think they had any idea. You know, they were 12-year-old boys. I don't think they are bad people. I don't think that even at the time they thought they were doing anything that wasn't um, just a little mischievous or a little bit funny. But it ended up completely derailing my life because then I had older boys, even high school boys, who to me – it seemed like men at age eleven. I thought I thought of them as as grown ups, completely out of my realm of. They, they were a different world, and they would assume that I would, you know, let them touch my breasts or grope me, or, um, you know, even that I might have sex with them. When I I really, I mean, I didn't really know what sex was. Amazing! This is amazing. If you would like to join our conversation. Uh, and I hope you would, uh, please give us a call. The phone number is 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. I also have the chat room open if you'd like to come on and, and just type a question or a comment. Emily, are you still there? Yes. Okay. Um, so did you tell any adults that this was going on? No, I didn't. Adults knew. Um, Some of the adults at school, it would have been impossible for them to miss it um, because the bullying was just so blatant. And I had a couple of teachers who I felt really could have done more to help me. A couple of teachers who who did. I feel at the time I wasn't really aware of it. I didn't have the perspective to recognize what they were trying to do. But looking back on it, um, I had especially a vice principal who really were kind. They had empathy for what I was going through, and they tried to help me um, like build self-esteem in other ways that didn't have to do with other people's perception of me and my reputation. But I never told my parents. I was far too ashamed. Um, my family at the time was, was quite Catholic. I was raised Catholic. And I thought that this, you know, regardless of the sexual activity I had actually participated in, which was sinful in my mind, I thought that the reputation was something 
uh, that like God was punishing me with. Like I had done something wrong, so wrong to upset God and that, you know, I was unlovable and worthless and that I would never be able to overcome this, you know, this shame. And it, it's really heavy, you know, to, to accept that and to live according to that belief when you're, you know, preteen. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, I can't even imagine. I, I, I mean, really, I can't even imagine being, and you had to go to the same school with these same people right. for how long? Right. Well, for um, a few years, and, and actually most of them went to my high school as well, but um, it's interesting, and this is something, again, like when I first returned to my diaries, I was in my late 20s, and I hadn't thought that much about it. I didn't, you know, relive middle school experiences. You know, most adults probably don't. But reading through the diaries really reminded me that I wasn't just this victim of bullying. It wasn't like everyone was ganging up on me. One of the ways that I coped was by um, kind of embracing this reputation of, of being a slut. And even though it didn't manifest in, in sexual activity, I, I kind of wanted to um, to leverage that power that I had, that people thought I was sexual in a mysterious way. Some girls looked up to me because of it. Um, and I also slut-shamed other girls. And this is one of the hardest things for me to wrap my head around, is that even though I was going through sexual bullying, one of the ways I guess I wanted to, um, to deflect it or to make myself feel better about it was that I had acquaintances and friends who I called a slut and who I shamed for flirting with boys or for hooking up with boys too soon. And, you know, it, it was just one of these, um, these ways that we kind of bullied each other and that we tried to control each other that is so toxic. And it was, um, it was just really revelatory for me to realize, you know, it's not always as simple as one person's doing the bullying and then there's a victim because one of the ways I kind of tried to not be a victim was to bully other people. Yeah. But that's not unusual, I don't think, in, in any realm. You know, I mean, the best defense is a good offense. Um, yeah, and no, you know, no I found what. that for adults, too. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's I was just thinking, for adults, we do that as well. You know, as women, we know that um, at any point, anyone could decide all we have accomplished in life is because we're a slut and because we slept with the right person to get our career off the ground or... Um, you know, make up a rumor about someone being, you know, someone's husband thinking that we're sexy and anything, any kind of spark of idea that we are just a slut because you can't be anything else. If you're a slut, you're just a slut. It limits you in so many ways Um, that we know that's a constant threat. And one of the ways we cope with that or try to avoid it is by deflecting that, um, negativity or that suspicion onto other women. I think that's the only way that I can really explain why so many grown women slept shame girls and other women. And why I, I mean, I participated in that as well until I was in my early twenties, just without really thinking critically about what I was doing. Well, one of the things, I mean, again, going back to this, you know, the best defense kind of thing. I mean, oftentimes when we get together with our friends and, you know, I mean, we call each other hoes and sluts. And I mean, you know, I mean, I recently started dating again after a number of years and I referred to myself as a slut, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we kind of make it into a joke because if we joke about it first, then it takes some of the power away from it. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I do. If we can say, I'm a slut and it's funny and it's all silly and, you know, I'm just uh, kind of not taking myself too seriously, then, it, yeah, exactly. It takes away that sharp edge of someone because we're worried and because we know that our behavior really could have negative consequences if someone else uses that word seriously yeah. against us, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So we we adopt those um, that terminology in order to take the edge off of it as much as we can. But are we just participating in our own um, uh, bullying when we do that? I think, I think it is misguided to try to use that word or, you know, other similar words in a positive and empowering way. And I know women who do, and I actually think that um, we're all working toward similar goals. Um, There's a celebrity model who's named Amber Rose, and she did a slut walk in LA. And she and I have 
worked together against slut shaming in a couple of a couple of different ways, including the slut walk um, back in um, October, I think. And um, you know, some women feel empowered to do that, and they say, "I'm a slut." And I embrace it, and I love it. It makes me feel good. And I think that's fine. I mean, more power to them. But as, a, as an approach toward cultural change, I don't think we're ready for it yet. Because if someone overhears you joking about yourself being a slut or calling a friend a slut when she knows you mean it in a good way, that person who overhears you and all the people in the room, don't, they're not in on it. You know, they don't know that you don't take it seriously. And um, it's dangerous because then it kind of it perpetuates the myth. I think maybe a couple decades from now we'll all be able to joke about it and everyone will be in on it. But until then, it, it's too risky in my opinion. It's not um, we're not quite there yet. So um, yeah, women who who reclaim it or who use it to describe themselves in positive ways, we're all, we're working toward the same goal. But um, just you know, different approaches. And in my mind, there's just so much uh, packed into the power of that word, it's not as simple as just deciding on an individual basis that for us it's going to be something fun and positive. Does that make sense? Yes, I think it does. Um, are there men sluts? Well, <laughs> um, I mean, I know my opinion, <laughs> but I mean. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because there are definitely people who try to argue that it's not even a gendered word, which I know you're not doing, but some people – believe that you know everyone who has whatever they believe is too much sex is a slut and that's fine it's fun um there are certainly men who have sexual shame and who are bullied because of it or who feel you know targeted because of their sexual activity or rumors it's different though um because of yeah but aren't they bullied with kind of a nudge nudge wink wink I mean, it, it, it's exactly. not the same. Exactly. the word like man whore, you know. It needs the word man in front of it because everyone knows that a real whore is a woman. Yeah. And he's just kind of, you know, you're, exactly. It's, it's, it's a little bit more in fun. And even if it's not, you know, even if it really causes pain for that individual man, um, it's, it's different. His experience is different than when a woman goes through it and she has all these traditions and years of history of slut shaming piled into, um, you know, she's participating in this long tradition of uh, that nobody really wants to participate in of, um, of women being kept down by, by the concept of their, their, their risky, dangerous, icky promiscuity. Hmm. So did you, you, it sounds to me like when you were a child and you went through this, you bought into that you were a slut. You bought into it. Oh, you yeah. decided the best way to handle it was to embrace it and become the best slut around. Um, <laughs> yeah, how, that's basically how mind. old were you when you decided I was an eleven-year-old child who was bullied? You know, I don't think it was until I revisited my diaries. Um, it was so one of the strangest things about reading those diaries again in my late twenties was that I read what I had written down and it became clear to me, oh my gosh, I was a target of bullying. I was, you know, struggling. I was 11. I was trying to cope with this because vaguely in my memory, I assumed I had just been a slutty middle schooler. That's kind of the way I remembered it. Wow. Remember everyone knew that I was a slut and, and that was the reputation I had. I didn't remember it fondly, of course, but, but I didn't remember um, just how, I didn't remember, I guess, just how much, I didn't understand how much I had internalized it. And that really rattled me because I thought, oh my gosh, here I am, an adult in my late 20s, and I've completely warped my memories of what happened. Or I really bought into what people convinced me was true about myself in middle school. And most people, I guess, just kind of go on living that way, believing <laughs> what people tell them about themselves if they don't have the the resource of their of their diaries to reflect back on and um, to kind of update their sense of self, which I was lucky enough to have. What concerns me or what crosses my mind right now is how did that shape you throughout the rest of your growing up and early adult years? How did that persona result in your behaviors that may or may not have happened um, and, and the path that you took if that hadn't been the case? I think it would take a 
a few hundred sessions with a psychotherapist to really delve into all that. But, um, <laughs> but without that luxury, um, I was really lucky, to be honest, uh, because when I got to about high school age, um, I started redefining myself. I moved beyond that reputation and the pain that it carried for me um, pretty quickly, much more quickly than a lot of girls are able to. And that's a lot of that's, you know, no, um, it has nothing to do with, with me personally. I was lucky that I had parents who were um, financially well off. They, they enrolled me in um, outside activities. I took voice lessons and participated in a choir and musical theater that was all outside of my toxic school environment. And I also had um, supportive adults who were interested in me doing well academically. So by focusing on, you know, singing and music, which I realized I was good at and I enjoyed, and by um, focusing on my studies, I was able to convince myself that I wasn't just a slut like other people were telling me. I was actually a musical theater geek, you know, and I was actually really good at, sure. at school and I was doing well academically. And so for me, I redefined myself um, over the next few years throughout high school. And like I said, I was lucky enough that in college and as an adult, um, it didn't necessarily affect me negatively. I didn't have the same types of um, post-trauma that a lot of women go through. But now that I have shared my experience and now that the Unslut Project has become a movement where women from all walks of life and all over the world are, are sharing their experiences with slut shaming, it is more clear to me than ever just how lucky I was because um, so many girls carry that shame with them for decades. I have women who are in their 50s and 60s writing into me to share um, something that might seem insignificant. Like in high school, a boy decided they were a slut and spray painted it on their locker. But it's still so shameful for them. They still have so much... Um, so there's still so much stigma surrounding that word and that idea that when they submit their stories, they'll say, you know, please only use my first name. Decades oh. removed and, you know, living in a different city. It's just so, it's still such a scary thing to put out there in the world, no matter how personally cathartic it is, you know, to share that. It's still such a scary thing to admit that someone thought you were a slut, whatever that meant to them so many years now, ago. So. Yeah. Has, has it changed, though? You said women in their 50s and 60s. Would it be lesser so? Because uh, women in their 50s and 60s, um, you know, I mean, that was just on the cusp of, the, you know, the whole sexual revolution and the birth control pill and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, sex, had a, sex and virginity had a much heavier meaning back then than it does today. So is the, the re, are the repercussions of being labeled a slut different for young girls today, or is it still just as devastating? Devastating, but in different ways. And I might, it's, it's interesting that you frame it that way because you're right. I mean, just until, you know, up until a few decades ago, virginity, this concept of not having been penetrated vaginally or whatever virginity even means, because I would argue it's not even a real <laughs> thing, but whatever that meant, you know, if you got pregnant, chances were you were going to have a baby and that you were going to marry that guy who got you pregnant. Actually. Yeah. I mean, and you were going to marry that loser. Yeah. Right, exactly. exactly. And you would have stayed married um, until the mid-70s when you were allowed to get a divorce, and then you would have been broke for the rest of your life, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of consequences. Um, yes. And now, you know, <laughs> that sex is, is arguably just so much easier, and um, le there's a lot of less risk attached, or it's easier to manage the risk if, you're, if you have the education to do so. It does seem kind of intuitive that the idea of slut shaming someone would be less powerful or less damaging, but in you know there's this other added uh, tool into the mix or this added layer, which is the internet and social media. And in the past, if you got labeled a slut, um, and even for me, honestly, we had in the late '90s we had AOL Instant Messenger, but that was our only social media tool. Um, you could it was kind of contained if that makes sense. Like your school might think you're a slut, but you could move to a different town or a different state if you needed to. You could um, leave those people behind and never even be reminded of their existence again. But mm -hmm. now what often happens um, is that everyone has a camera with them at all times in the form of their cell phone. And if someone you know, takes a picture of you or if someone shares a picture of you without your consent, it could be around the entire world with a hashtag assigned to it within a matter of seconds. And 
and that's your life. I mean, it feels so permanent and it is permanent, you know, it's, it, but, but to girls going through that, who don't have the perspective that, you know, they'll be able to um, move beyond that or grow up into fulfilled adults. It seems like the end of the world. I think in a much, you know, it's a much grander scale of slut shaming as possible <laughs> than, than was, than was before the internet. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, even though on the surface sexual activity is not is is not unusual or necessarily uh verboten, we still have the same kind of perception of the girl who is too sexually active. <clears throat> however, we define that. However, the right. way we define. Right. It's um I mean, it's just so much to unpack and why we haven't yet been able to shed this cultural perception of female sexuality as something that's wrong, like inherently wrong. Even we have to say, you know, admit to having sex with someone or she, you know, um, gave it up. The language we use to talk about it makes it seem as if our our state, our virginity, I guess, which is like the state of not having ever had anyone penetrate your body, whatever that means, you know, is this, is a treasure, is something to be protected. That myth persists. And it's, it's mind blowing that in, you know, 2015, even when we think we live in such a sexual society and we do, we have so much exposure to it and it's, it's normalized. Why do we still have so much discomfort with, with actual um, women in our lives and that we hear of in the media, having agency when it comes to sex and making these decisions for themselves. I don't have well, an answer. Well, and who gets to decide how much is too much? Who makes those decisions? Right. I mean, <laughs> exactly. there, there used to be, way back when I was a kid, there was some sort of, I don't know, there was some sort of laxative commercial, and it was like, you know, the I, I will never forget it because for some reason it was like, well, you could do prunes, but is one enough or is three too many? And I remember being struck by that as a child, thinking, "Well, if one is not enough and three is too many, take two. You know, I mean, what? How is how? You know, you know how these funny little things stick in your brain. Um, so, you know, is one too much? Is three too many? You know, is four partners too much? You know, or not enough? And six partners makes you a slut. I mean, who I'm really glad actually these? that you you brought that up um, <laughs> because it's one of the ways that I that I confront slut shaming and that I really encourage listeners to confront it as well uh, is by starting a conversation, right? And so one of the one of the ways I do that because starting a conversation is not always so simple is by asking questions along those lines. If someone uses the word slut, you can say, "What do you mean by that?" If they give you a definition, usually it's something along those lines. You know, someone who has too much sex or sex with too many partners, usually, you know, it's a woman who sleeps around with too many people. And that's always, you know, the follow-up question. How many is too many? Yeah. That usually stops One people in their tracks. One and up is three tracks. too many. I mean, <laughs> right, right. You'll, you'll never forget that catchphrase. Saying... <laughs> it's been with me for I know. <laughs> 45 years. <laughs> but yeah, it, it just, so I mean, like... it's just, yeah, I mean, who gets right. to decide? You know, and if what what if I'm in some sort of, you know, uh, farm community in Idaho, which may have different standards than downtown Los Angeles, you know, as far as sexual activity, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, what if I'm in the Bible Belt and there might be different definitions there? I don't know. I I haven't lived in the Bible Belt, but, um, you know, who who gets to decide? Is it a community standard? Oh, you know, are these things standardized and published somewhere so we all know? Okay, <laughs> if you have slept with eleven men, you are now a slut. I mean. Uh, who these things are so arbitrary and so ridiculous it is and yet That's we take it so seriously right yeah. exactly you know it would be easier if there were something published you know act this way and nobody <laughs> will ever be able to tell you you're a slut and dismiss you yes. because of it you know <laughs> But there isn't. And that's the thing that's so scary is because this idea of a slut can be applied to anyone just based on it's not even community to community. It's individual to individual. We all have our own perceptions about what is okay when it comes to sex and what needs to be called out or who needs to be shamed. And um, it, it varies so vastly among different people that there is really no way to avoid being the target of slut shaming. And that's one of the hardest truths to you know, to report back to middle school girls who ask me, how can I make sure that what happened to you doesn't happen to me? And the answer is that you can't. All you can do is, you know, as a, as a person going through that is try to be able to not internalize it and to 
um, you know, to kind of stay above the fray, so to speak, and and eventually overcome it so that it doesn't affect you in the long run. Because people are, um, you know, unfortunately at the place we are today, which I hope is is not always the case, um, people are able to decide you're a slut and it's enough to completely undermine you as a person and to, you know, in the worst cases, if you're the victim of a sexual assault, it's enough that you had a reputation of a slut to to dismiss your testimony or to not even allow you to testify, to just dismiss you outright um, still, what you're saying. Still soon. in this day mm-hmm. and age. Oh, sure. And we see it, you know, publicly as well. Um, the case that comes to mind just because it's been in the news again recently is Bill Cosby. I mean, how many women had to come forward before anyone took them seriously? There's over 50 women's voices equal one man's voice. You know, that that case has the added layer of celebrity and race. And it's it's pretty complicated, but... When it comes down to it, it's really just that we would rather believe that multiple women are terrible liars, really, than one man was um, was able to commit an act of sexual assault. It's just so um, it's so much more normalized for us to assume, well, she was asking for it somehow, or she has a reputation of being a slut, so maybe she just regrets this one time. I mean, it's so much easier for us as, and when I say us, I mean culturally and, and in general to jump to that conclusion than to try to deal with a sexual assault. Um, yeah. But that's often what happens. It's, it's really sad it, to hear about it on small scale as well in, within a town or within a, um, a community where this happens to a girl. Well, and it, again, in the town, uh, it, it doesn't seem, it has no, there, there's no standard, just like first, second, third base. I mean, everybody thinks of it as something different. Nobody really knows what it is, and yet the damage that can be done by somebody right. deciding to label you that. Um, it, it's startling to me that, that we can still damage young girls so much, and it has to ha- it doesn't necessarily have to have any basis. I mean, we can talk about how many, you know, is one enough, is three too many, but the fact is that this can happen to a young girl without having had any sexual contact. Somebody can just decide to label her. And so you, uh, we, we call, you have called this sexual bullying. How is this different from any other kind of bullying? Well, it's different because, you know, it depends case to case, but sexual bullying is particularly dangerous because... It's not true everywhere, but I would assume that in most families, in most towns, especially now with bullying being such a hot topic, um, if you are the target of bullying that has to do with your religion or your weight or the color of your skin or if you wear glasses, adults in your life will recognize that as bullying and they will come to your aid. If they're good parents, if they're good teachers, if they've been trained – they will recognize that for what it is. But with sexual bullying, if you're a girl who is targeted as a slut, and you know other types of sexual bullying will happen to LGBT youth. If, if a, you know someone accuses you of being gay and you live in uh, certain parts of our country, it's not guaranteed that um, your parents will be on your side, you know, and that teachers will be on your side. In my case, you know, I didn't feel comfortable telling my parents about that. And I would have told them about other types of bullying, but this just felt like there was something deeply wrong with me. And unfortunately, when girls don't tell their parents, often they're right. I mean, often they're making a judgment call that is true, that is if they told their parents what they were going through, it would just be worse for them emotionally because their parents might blame them for what's happening to them as well. And and that's why this project really, um, you know, we're, we're hoping to reach girls and my diary in book form now is for young adults you know it's geared toward teenage girls and preteens but it's it's our responsibility as adults as well we can't just expect our children to change their perceptions of themselves and their behavior in these very tricky ways that it, most adults haven't even been able to pull off yet so exactly to, yeah. to, um, to change that culture that they're they're growing up in do your parents now obviously your parents must know of your experience Yes, at this do. point in their lives. Yeah, we're um, we're yeah. friends now. And what is their <laughs> My reaction? parents and I got along great. Well, I was afraid to tell them about it at first, but I did, and um, they are so supportive. It's really amazing to me um, just how 
excited about this project they are my mom hosted a screening of my documentary film <laughs> with her friends and and teachers from my school went and, and it really feels great to have people who knew me at that time now you know a couple decades out being able to look back and reflect upon it and become part of the unslept project which is great my parents though um haven't read my diary and my mom bought the book <laughs> you know as a supportive mother does but she started it and stopped because for her it's just too it's too personal i mean it's it's not just close to home it happened in her home and she's thinking you know of, it's hard for her to remove herself from what she could have done sure. and if she could have noticed and helped and um but yeah now that i'm an adult uh my parents and i are close friends and they are on board with the project and really respect it and and i think it's opened their eyes to something they never really thought much about. Um, they knew I was suffering at the time. They knew that something was happening, but they didn't know the details by any means. What about siblings? Do you have siblings? Yeah, I've got an older sister, and I have a younger brother, too. They're on board and, as well. But were they aware at the time? No. Um, well, my little brother would not have been. He was in elementary school, and <laughs> I didn't really hang out with him that much at the time. But my older sister knew. Um, she didn't know how much it bothered me. I had been harming myself by cutting my wrists as a way to cope. And I had considered suicide because I thought that there was just no other way out. I felt so worthless. And she didn't know about that um, at all. And talking about it with her now, I've asked her, you know, she was two years ahead of me in school. And some of the boys in her class were the ones who were sexually bullying me the most, asking her what she knew about that. And she was pretty much out of the loop. She had a different circle of friends, and sometimes she would try to give me advice, you know, stay away from that guy, he's just using you, or he doesn't actually want to be your friend, you know, try to give me some sisterly advice. But she didn't care that much because she had her own drama going on. I mean, when I was 11, she was 13. So as most 13-year-olds are, I think she was, you know, just as self-absorbed as I was and had her own drama. Yes, exactly. The world starts and ends right around you at that age, yeah. Right. As a matter of fact, I think some people at continues pretty much their whole lives, but um, (laughs) but that's a different show. Um, (laughs) So uh, have you had any encounters with anyone that you knew, anyone that you knew at that time who went to school with you that you may or may not have been friends with? Yes. Um, Actually, some of the people who were mentioned in my diary, which um, has been public for a while, it's been online for a while, and now it's just come out in book version with it, you know, added commentary as a memoir. But when, it, when my, just my diary in broth form was online, um, I had people whose names I had mentioned or changed in the diary, but they recognized themselves. They got in touch with me. Um, one in particular was a girl who was one of the worst bullies to me at that time, who had been my best friend and then, you know, told me that I should kill myself because I was ah. such a slut. Yeah, I changed her name in the diary to Steph, and she getting in touch with her now was one of the most meaningful things for me related to this project, honestly, because it was just so, um, it was almost, you know, it's a catharsis to connect with her just through Facebook messages, you know, kind of hear her side of the story and hear her apology. And she had no idea. I mean, if she had kept a diary at the time and I had that to compare mine to what there would have been so many, um, the story would be so much fuller, I suppose. It would be um, just interesting to see how she experienced things. And so being able to talk with her about that was great. It it, it allowed me to, um, you know, it, it secured <laughs> my belief that, you know, this, this project is not about targeting um, the people who hurt me at that time now as adults. It's not, I changed their names. It's not about, you know, humiliating them or even blaming them for anything. So hearing how far she's come and her current perspectives on it, reassured me, you know, that that was, that was true. They, um, people who I wouldn't expect to have been on board with this project based on their behavior when they were 11, 12, 13, <laughs> thankfully have grown up into adults that I would in some cases, you know, choose to be friends with. So it's been eye opening to talk to um, people, you know, that I remember from that time in my life and see what they remember and how they experienced the same events that I wrote about. So tell me about the Unslut project. What do you hope to accomplish? What uh, support, what what resources are available through there? What is the Unslut project? Well, it lives mostly as an online platform where 
women, um, and actually people of all genders, have shared their opinions, their experiences, mostly first-person um, write-ups of what they have gone through in their life related to slut-shaming. So the stories vary widely. I mean, some of them are kind of similar to what I went through in middle school. Some of them involve, you know, an ex-boyfriend sabotaging them online when they were in their 30s. I mean, it's just so varied and from all over the world. And the point is, well, part of the point is to give give everyone a space to talk about these things because they're so taboo. And often we're so afraid that people in our own lives will judge us if we bring it up that it can feel really good to just be able to type it into a forum on a computer and throw it out into the ether and know that it's part of this project, a movement of a collection of other women like you. That feels good for the person sharing the story. Beyond that, it's for girls who are currently suffering because when I was at that age, I would have loved to be able to go online and get some reassurance from strange women I'd never met, all different ages around the world, to know that other people were going through something similar, other people had, and they had survived. And they had made not just a life for themselves, but a great, happy, fulfilled life for themselves, and that I could do the same thing. So it's for those girls. And even, you know, on a grander scale, I guess, it's on it's for everyone who hasn't had to think about slut-shaming, who has had the privilege in their life to not even consider this issue um, because they've never been on the receiving end of it or never had a friend who was on the receiving end of it. It's for those people to be to have an archive or, you know, a, a collection of these experiences that together all these anecdotes um, shared so honestly and openly, in some cases anonymously online, demonstrate just how widespread the problem is and how even though each experience varies there's this common thread that slut if you're a slut you are nothing else and that means that you have no worth you have no skills you have nothing to offer the world and it can be so um it can be unbearable to carry that type of reputation and it's emerged just as i said like this common thread that almost every Almost every woman I talk to about this project has something something to share. Yeah. So the the online support is the primary thing, but you also have a book. You've got a movie coming out. Tell us about that. Right. Well, the movie um, will be released on iTunes in mid-January. January 12th is the release date. But it's, it's out right now in um, these private screenings that we're doing around the country, and we have been for the past few months, on, mostly on university campuses, um, and in community centers, movie theaters, um, where the documentary is about 40 minutes long, and women who have gone through slut-shaming in the past shared their stories quite bravely. Um, and the family of one girl who took her own life because she had been raped and then subsequently slut-shamed as a victim of rape um, were, were, were kind enough to speak with me in this film. And the film is 40 minutes, and afterward, in these private screenings that we've been doing, um, we have conversations, and I've I've attended as many of them as I can, and it's it's wonderful. It's such a great experience to be able to watch such a sad, thought-provoking film together, and then to have some space to talk about what that brings up for everyone who's viewing it. And um, we've had some conversations that have gone for on for hours. You know, everyone stays in the theater and just wants to sort through everything. And I'm so glad that we've been doing these small screenings where that's possible. But as I said, it will be available for purchase on iTunes this month. And um, the book is, it's my diary. It's my diary that's been online. And I added um, as footnotes, but they're actually in the margins. So it's the diary, but then kind of an annotated diary, I would say, um, of my adult self, reading it through with you, the reader, and commenting upon what I wrote as a middle school student. And kind of the, the point of that is so that when young adults read it, when, when girls read it, who might be able to relate more closely to my middle school self, so I can guide them by the hand and kind of provide context through this commentary and, and prod them to think a little bit more deeply about what I was writing down as a middle school student, hopefully reach them that way. So that book just came out on December 29th in the oh, wow. first week. And yeah, it feels really good to have that. Uh, it feels strange, like I said, to have my <laughs> my middle school diary and it's on a shelf at Barnes and Noble and it's very strange, <laughs> but, but I'm really glad. Yeah. I'm really, really glad. It feels, it, it's overwhelmingly a good feeling and it feels, um, 
it's really it feels great to be able to share my story so widely. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that your life is different because of this experience that you went through as a child? Well, it's different. Until I started the Unslut Project, you know, I couldn't really tell you. It was just so much a part of who I was. I can't imagine a life where that hadn't happened to me to compare it to, you know, what I, what I might have done differently. I guess for me, it might have made me, um, might have made my life better, not the process of being bullied, but the way that I overcame it because it required me to focus on school and academics and doing that throughout high school. Um, I, I went to Harvard as an undergrad and I'm finishing up my PhD and I've achieved my academic goals that might not have even been goals if I hadn't needed to distract myself from being bullied, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. so it's hard to say, but that's important to share, I think, because my point in, or one of my points in, in sharing my diary is that for any girl who's going through something similar, who's being sexually bullied or who has been labeled a slut, that could be her truth as well. You know, it doesn't need to be something that's life-changing or, in the worst cases, life-ending. It can be something that you overcome and never really have to contend with again because you're able to to recognize that even though at one point in your life your peers defined you as a slut, that's not how you define yourself. So at the time I didn't realize that's how I was overcoming it. I didn't have this perspective to think I'm going to focus on schoolwork and I'm going to focus on music and I will overcome my reputation. That wasn't really my plan, but looking back on it, I really think – I was I was really lucky and being able to overcome it so completely and uh is rare. You know, it's really rare. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to share this was not, you know, just to provide um some hope. To say I you know, I it got better for me, it can get better for you as well. Do you um have a lot of uh, young women in your life outside of this this the the unslept project? I'm trying to think of what particular motivation you had for doing that at this point in your life. Oh, no, you know, I don't at all. I'm um, a 29-year-old academic. You know, I live with my husband, but we don't have any kids yet. And um, most of my friends who have kids, they're, you know, they're infants or toddlers. They're not nearly at this age. But, you know, so it wasn't so much that I was um, thinking of it as something to be doing for the young women in my life. It was more that when I heard news stories about girls in, who were teenagers or preteens who were going through something similar and that they had been labeled a slut who decided to take their own life, that brought me back to being their age. You know, I was that middle school girl. I was that teenager who was considering suicide because she felt so worthless. That um, it was more for, for 1997 Emily <laughs> that I was thinking this is what I would have needed at that age. And so for the equivalent of 1997, Emily, you know, 2000 at the time, 2013 blank, fill in the blank, whoever's name, that's who I am. I'm doing this for. Would you just, when you look back on your life at that point, as you know, looking at it with your adult eyes, can you make recommendations for that 11 year old girl of how she should have handled this? Yes, um, I guess it's true for for most types of bullying, but especially with slut shaming, the biggest risk is that you internalize it and that you believe that, and, and that at last this belief persists, that you are just a slut and hence worthless. Um, it's worse for girls who have been growing up with the belief their whole life that um, virginity is, to be valued above all else and that um, being a slut is kind of the worst sin or, <laughs> the, you know, your your virtue is all you have, this type of thing, that when you get labeled a slut, you lose all mooring. You, you don't know how else to define yourself besides just a slut. And that is when it's really dangerous. And I would encourage girls for that reason to to focus on what they're good at doing, to to identify a skill or an activity, a sport, something that they 
like spending time doing and to focus on that and get good at it. <laughs> so for, like I said, for me, it was music and, and performing, specifically singing. For a girl, you know, in 2015, it could be soccer, it could be painting, it could be, um, you know, design online, designing websites, anything that she likes to spend time doing that she can throw herself into and thus kind of defi- redefine herself as not just a slut, but a good soccer player or, you know, someone who's pretty good at knitting or, or whatever, um, to allow herself some other, not just to distract herself, but to allow herself to really be convinced that she's worth more than what someone else tells her she is. And it's, it's an important belief to be able to foster, you know, throughout your life, that's something you need to be confident of in order to be happy, I think. But at that time, especially once you stop internalizing it, once you stop letting other people define you, the reputation eventually falls away. I mean, at some point, people have their own issues to deal with and their own um, concerns about themselves. Most of your peers at that age are just as self-absorbed, like I said, as you are. And so um, if you're able to remove, uh, remove that stigma yourself, eventually people follow suit. But even if they don't, like honestly, even if for the rest of your life, everyone surrounding you believes you're a slut, if you can fortify yourself with the understanding that you are so much more, whatever skills you have, whatever priorities you have, the values you live by, if you are secure in that belief, then it doesn't affect you. And that's really, as a target of slut-shaming, the best that you can do. And I think that kind of whole scenario uh, or advice can hold true for any thing that a young person encounters a young woman exactly. and a young girl encounters um but of course that's always the trick isn't it how do we instill uh, can we instill that level of confidence uh in young women um we've been trying it for a number of decades that i know of and i'm not sure we've we've hit the mark yet um right what is it's so unfortunate yeah okay what is being done, um, uh, you know, as this issue becomes more and more prominent, um, like you mentioned at the beginning of the program about your sex ed that was all about biology, you know, and God knows mine was as well. I mean, I didn't, I remember feeling particular frustration thinking, I don't care about having babies. I'm not going to do that. I want to know about how the sex thing works. And they weren't covering that right. at all. <laughs> you know, exactly. and, uh, um, you know, so what are we doing or are we doing? Is there some sort of movement underway that you're spearheading that will enable us to educate young people about slut shaming well comprehensive sex education uh, is is becoming more well the idea of it's becoming more and more accepted and it's actually being implemented little by little in school districts that are more progressive around the country but it varies widely so comprehensive sex ed is this idea that when we are edu- we should always be educating kids from when they're around the age when they first start becoming curious about where babies come from, but in age-appropriate ways that aren't going to, you know, upset them or scar them, that will make sense for them and be useful to them. We should be educating them um, and normalizing the idea of sexuality for them so that there's not shame attached to it. And in schools, comprehensive sex ed includes LGBT issues. It doesn't assume that sex is always between a straight man and a straight woman and always for the purpose of um, the woman becoming pregnant, and um, it, it talks about all different types of. Wait sex a minute! And you, you're allowed <laughs> to have sex for fun. Wait a minute! <laughs> exactly, exactly, and that's. Wait a minute! Nobody a told me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been missing out, Heather. Let me tell you. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, and so. I, you know, I'm hopeful. I think I think the country and um, is changing, and there are parts of there are many parts of this country where there is no sex ed. In fact, where it's illegal, you know, it's, it's not allowed to even um, demonstrate to high school students how to use a condom. I mean, my documentary film that we were talking about earlier involves some B-roll, you know, a little bit of cutaway while an expert is talking about sex ed. And the B-roll is a banana with a condom getting put onto it, which I thought was kind of funny because this is a silly way that people might demonstrate how to put on a condom. It's with a banana. And I have had high school educators tell me, if you can just take out that little bit with the banana that shows a condom, <laughs> we can screen this film in our high school. I'm not exactly, I mean, it blew my mind because in their high school with students who have, are probably 
sexually active already, they're not allowed to show an image of a condom. It is so uh, discouraging that in some places that's, that's still the case. It just seems so backward. Well, I thought that was kind of de rigueur using the the banana condom scenario. I mean, I thought I thought that was commonly, uh, you know, a, a common scenario for edu- sex ed. Yeah, I'm same wrong. here. That was one of my biggest surprises. Just the past few months, that's come to that's come to my attention. Wow. I thought, wow, I, I know. Well, and and I, you know, I mean, as a parent who, of of a couple of grown children, I must say that you know, I mean, I had my questions about the sex ed that they encountered, um, mainly because I do feel that it is my role to educate my children on a on a, on a certain percentage of their sex education, um, mm-hmm. but I always felt that you know, whatever, as long as I know what they're being told, then I can put in my two cents worth. You know, I mean, if my children asked me something, whether it was politics or sex or whatever, I would say, well, this is how this happens, blah, 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 and this is what I think. Or when they were very young, I would say, and this is what we do, <laughs> or this right, is what right. we believe, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah. got to get your pitch in there, you know. Um, exactly. But I, I, I think that um, the important thing is to not shield them from information, but to provide them with your take on that information um, right. when we're trying to educate children. And I would think right. it would be the same thing with these kinds of emotional and um, and bullying kinds of issues. You know, it happens. We have to be prepared for it. We can't shield them necessarily from it, but we can prepare them with our take on it and what we can do uh, for that. At least that's my hope. Tell me, yeah. please, that the SLUT project uh, is going to be all over the country. Oh, sure. I mean, we um, are selling the documentary to, I mean, it's available for purchase all over the country, and the book is out, uh, Unflooded Diary and a Memoir, is in bookstores, Barnes & Noble and independent bookstores on Amazon. It's it's available for purchase right now. So I hope that listeners will, will check it out. And, you know, the platform itself, the online community of the Unflut Project is available all over the world. I mean, it's <laughs> it's online. So anywhere there's Internet access, we can um, people can get involved. And I hope that they will. Great. If people want to know more about it, you have a website, presumably? Yes, just unslutproject.com. Does it have the in front of it or not? Nope. But if they, you know, if you search on Google the Unslut Project, it comes up right at the top. It's pretty easy to find. And then um, one of the ways that I'm most active online is through Twitter and Facebook, at Unslut Project on Twitter. And on Facebook, the page is just Unslut Project. And it's a way to share stories that are relevant and to connect with people who are part of the movement. And especially because sexual bullying nowadays takes place a lot, a lot of it takes place online, it's a place where we can counter that and provide, uh, you know, use, use social media for good. So I encourage people to, to check out the Unsought Project that way too. Great. I will warn everyone, though, do not Google slut quotes. No. <laughs> I'm just telling you, okay? Um, anyone who listens to the show knows that I like to close our show with a quote. And <laughs> like I said, don't Google slut quotes. You, you don't want to see what pops up. <laughs> However, Emily has a quote that she's willing to share with us. Emily, tell us where the quote is from, and then tell us the quote, please. Oh, um, <laughs> well, the quote that I think is, is uh, pretty funny is from Mean Girls. And it, Tina Fey, the, well, the character that she plays is a teacher, and she instructs her high school students, you've got to stop calling each other sluts and whores because it just gives makes it okay for boys to call you sluts and whores. And I love that quote because... One, I love Tina Fey, and I, and I think Mean Girls is a pretty funny movie from about a decade ago. But also, it's problematic. I think it, it puts the responsibility all on girls to uh, to change our culture. And so I like that quote because I think it can expand upon it and, and call in boys as well and men and say, you know, stop using these words and, and stop, um, you know, really call into question the ideas that, that are behind these words and, and reconsider in ourselves, the assumptions we have, and we can really move out from there. So I hope your listeners will and, and join the movement. I hope so, too. And I think that it, it's important that we pay attention to the language that we use. Um, a language is so important in our lives and in our culture. And I think when we're doing things like joking about being a slut or whatever, we, we need to be conscious 
of the language that we have and the language that we use. And um, I hope that the Unslept Project is helping us uh, recognize that. Please join us next week. Next week we are going to have Kate McCarty uh, talking about women in the media. Join us next week for Three Women, Three Ways, and we'll see if our music bed is working. It's not. So next week we'll have the music up and running. Join us next week. Three Women, Three Ways. Thank you very much, Emily Linden. Thank you.